My name is Carter, in case you didn't catch that. Uh, I've been coming around here for a long time, so a lot of you probably know me. If not, I'd like to meet you. Um, so, uh, the last 10, 11, 12 weeks we've been doing this series called Love Well, and we've been talking all about love and what it is and who has it. And we're talking about God's love specifically. And we've been talking about God's interaction with us as he's loving us, and why is God's love such a big deal, and is it a thing, and how big is it? And we started out to kind of frame up where does God's love come from and, and how big does it look. We started out talking about who God is. And some of the things we talked about in that first week was we talked about God being a holy and righteous God. And that just means God is perfectly good. And there is nothing bad about God and whatever is good, God is. Whatever God is, is good. And we talked about God being completely faultless in his goodness. We talked about God being great. And we talked about the vastness of who he is, him creating the entire universe and all, everything in it. And we talked about how God is so big, eternally, infinitely big. And then we contrasted that with who people are. And we talked about us as humans. And we talked about how we have this issue with rebelling against God once for our lives. God has designed the world to work in a certain way, and we do not often... Uh, line up with that design. And so we talked about how we participate in these activities that are rebellious uh, to God, and we talk about doing that out of who we are as people. Not that we um, do these bad things a lot, and that kind of is a descriptor of us, but that we are literally um, bad people to the core. And that, as a result, our actions overflow out of who we are. And so when you look at that, that's a pretty big disparity, looking at a God who's completely holy, completely righteous, and has no fault in him compared with people who are literally the opposite, who are completely not holy and completely not righteous and has nothing good at all in them. And so we look at this um, really giant seismic gap in between who we are and who God is, and it is on these grounds, it is in this playing field that we frame up just how big God's love is. Because we went on to talk about how God, out of love for us, out of a desire to know us and be with us and have communion with us for all eternity, sent Jesus uh, on the cross. He sent him to live on earth. He lived a perfect life. Um, he was the only man to ever do that, and the only man who ever will do that, perfect. Um, we just talked about who we are and how we are the opposite of perfect. And Christ came as a human and lived a completely perfect, sinless, faultless life. And then uh, we talked about how Christ went to the cross and died a gruesome death on our behalf. We talked about how his death on the cross was completely sufficient to cover our sin, meaning it was completely sufficient to bear God's wrath as he poured it out on him. God, being a just, righteous God, cannot be something that he is not. And so in his goodness, he will always preserve justice. And because of that, we talked about God had to punish sin. And because of that, he sent Christ in our stead. And Christ's death on the cross was completely sufficient to bear his wrath that we deserved. And then we talked about how God, or Jesus, raised from the dead on the third day, and why that is so important, that he's victorious over sin. The Son of God couldn't be held down by sin, that sin was defeated forever in Christ Jesus. And it, 
And when you look at who God is and when you look at who we are and you look at what God did to intervene for us, that is when God's love looks so massive. His love looks massive in the face of God's extreme perfection and it looks massive in the face of our extreme not anything good. And that is why God's love looks so big and is so big. And that's kind of where we started our series in Love Well, framing up who we are and who God is and then looking at what he did for us out of his love for us and then why that's so massive because of the giant gap between who we are and who God is and what he's done. And then I was going to hit on the fact that Christ on the cross did something that we could not. He did what no man could accomplish, and that was be sinless and bear the wrath of God that we deserve. So we deserved judgment, but God judged Christ instead, taking the punishment in a way that we could not. So the point is, God did something for us that he gave us freely. There was no, nothing, nothing on our part that we did to earn it, nothing we, we did to deserve it, nothing our, on our part that made us merit that award. And so, so we talked about this idea, that, this idea that God pursued us in love and sent Christ out of love for us to redeem us from our sin. And then we talked about this idea that that sending Christ was something that he gave us that we could not otherwise attain. And so this is where we find ourselves tonight, looking in the face of what we already know to be God's love when we receive him, and what we already know to be God's grace when we receive him. We move into um, our passage tonight in Colossians. We're going to start in Colossians chapter 2, and in verse 6. And it says this, Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. So he starts off, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord. As you received him. Hmm, that's sort of puzzling. How do we receive Christ? Well, we receive Christ by one, believing that Christ, the person of Jesus Christ on the cross, was who he said he is, that being God in man sent for the redemption of our sins and did what he said he did, that his death on the cross was sufficient to take the penalty for our sins, and then repent of our sins, meaning taking our sin and laying them at the feet of the cross and saying, I cannot overcome this, I cannot earn your favor, God, and so I'm looking at the cross, I'm turning from my sins, and I'm placing everything, my entire hope in the cross, turning from our sins. So we received him. Believe, in belief and repentance, we received Christ Jesus. And so this is referring to the time when we first encountered Christ and he redeemed us. And many of us have a story that can tell of that time. Many of us can remember when that happened uh, for us. But the second part is what, where we're going to go tonight. And he says, as you received him, Jesus Christ the Lord, so walk in him. Now, so here isn't so much as it's so walk in him. Like, it's not, we're not saying very walk in him. That doesn't make sense. But what he's saying here is, as you received Christ, in the same way, walk in him. So think about the way that you received Christ, uh, Paul's saying in this letter, and walk in him in the same way. So you want to know how to continue walking in him as you live your life after you receive him? Paul says, the same way that you received him. And that being him pursuing us out of love, labbing us in love, and giving us grace, something that we could not do on our own, something that we could not earn. It's the same. So God's love doesn't stop for us after we receive him. It's not like God died on the cross, 
and our sins are forgiven up to that point, and then God says, I've given you a whole lot of love, I'm turning off the love faucet, and you have to be really good the rest of your days to, to make sure you're with me in heaven. No, he's saying we walk in him in the same way we received him, meaning his love sustains us for all eternity. And his grace, him giving us something that we cannot do, enables us to walk in him and to do the things that he's called us to. And, and later we'll find out, desire the things he's called us to. So if that's obeying his commands, all of a sudden, by grace, God allows us to walk in those because he gives us the ability to walk in them. There's no, there's no split here. There's no break. The, the same way that we received Christ is the same way that we walk in him. Verse 7 uh, goes on and says, Rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. So, so he kind of goes on on this idea of walking in him, rooted and built up in Christ. And then he says something interesting. He says, abounding in thanksgiving. So here's the implication of us walking in the love of God and walking in grace. It's that we abound in thanksgiving for who he is. Now, I want you to all do me a favor. Um, think back, if you've received Christ and, and you have a moment in your mind where I, I remember this time when I received Christ, think about that time. And I want you to think about how you felt. What words would you describe, would you use to describe how you felt in that moment? Think like two or three adjectives. What words, don't say, in your head, think about them. Maybe uh, overjoyed, jubilant, um, emotional, overwhelmed, perhaps confused. Um, but think about the incredible, overwhelming thanksgiving you felt, emotion you felt when you first received him. And, and here it's saying that feeling, that thanksgiving, abounds as you walk in him. Not sustains, it doesn't stay the same, abounds. It gets greater. Why? Because as we w walk in him and as we sit under his love and we delve into it and we understand who God is and what he's done in a deeper way and we understand the character of God and we understand as God reveals to us what his love is and how big it is and in deeper and more intimate ways we're moving in it, our thanksgiving for him abounds because our intimacy with him is greater. How we know him is greater as we walk in what he has given us. And so our thanksgiving is not the same as we walk in him. It's not less than the thanksgiving we initially had. It's greater. It grows, multiplies as we learn and as we sit under God's love for us. That's huge. Like, I don't know about you guys, but when I received Christ for the first time, it was this overwhelming, overjoying feeling of like, oh my goodness, I understand it. I understand what God's love to me, and I tasted God's love. I just got some of it on my tongue, and it was overwhelming. And, and Paul's saying in this passage that that taste, you get to drink it for the rest of your life. You get the opportunity to walk in it. You get to turn to it and bathe in it and swim in it. And your thanksgiving, that, that little bit of God's love that you felt initially, and the thanksgiving that came from that, you get more of that, and your thanksgiving grows. It abounds. That's incredible. And then all of a sudden, as our thanksgiving abounds, we have a new way of thinking about everything we do in our life. Now, as we, our affection for 
God grows and our thanksgiving for what he's done grows, we have this new desire in our heart to do what he wants us to do, not because we want to earn his favor, but because he's given us something, because he's given us a desire for him and because he's given us the ability to carry that out. Everything changes when we're walking in him. Everything changes when we receive him, but then it grows as we walk in him. Now, uh, there's kind of a change of pace in the passage here. As, as we go on to verse 8, we get a new direction in what Paul's saying. So he, he gives us the affirmative. He gives us what um, we, we were designed to do as we walk in him. And then here he gives us um, th- ways that we often, things that we often participate in and attitudes we often have that are not how we were designed to walk with God. And so he starts in verse 8. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. All of the things he lists, all of the things he mentions, are things that are of people, are of us, are of the world, and are things that are not of God, not according to Christ. So, what, what is that for us? What kind of things we hold on to? Maybe... Maybe we're in this idea of, I received Christ, and that was cool, but now I, um, I'm not trusting God for what is best for me. I think I, I see this thing over here that, that God says isn't good for me, but, but I, this is making me happy right now, and I like that, and, I'm gonna, and I think I know better than God. Maybe um, we get in this weird self-righteousness thing where we started and we received him by grace, and we understood that, and, and God gave us something. And, and that was amazing. And then there was this break in our mind. And we started trying to earn God's favor. We felt like we needed to do something to live up to this. And so we came to church, maybe church every day. You were in Sunday school all the time. Um, memorized lots of Bible verses. It's a good thing, right? And um, you say everything you're supposed to say when you, when you think about it. And maybe, maybe even you read your Bible. And that's all well and good. But... Really, at the heart level, it's not because you're being overflowed with your affections for Christ and bounding in thanksgiving. It's actually because you have this human desire to live up to something, to earn God's favor as if we could. And so we've got these human distractions, these things that we do other than what God has designed us to do, these bankrupt philosophies that rob us of our ability to carry out um, effectively what God will have us to do and be effective in the kingdom of God. It robs us of our joy in him, our satisfaction in what he's doing in our lives. These attitudes also rob us of God's sustaining um, love and grace that allows when we turn from these things and do not participate in them, we do not reap the, the benefits of experiencing God's love. And we do not, we're not no longer able to actually carry out anything worth value because God, we're no longer getting it from God. We're trying to do it on our own. And so, and so sometimes this can look a lot of different ways. Maybe, maybe we want um, a lot of people to like us. Um, we want to be liked at school by our friends. And so that's, that's what we pursue. We pursue popularity. We pursue friends. 
um, maybe we are so caught up on the idea of being successful and we, we get good grades and we trying to go to college and a career and you're just thinking way ahead and, and that's, that's what we're walking in. Um, and, and then again, maybe we're walking in church. Maybe we're walking in a Christless um, religion that is robbing us of joy. And so um, we get another encur- one more encouragement here in verses 9 and 10. And he says, For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. And you have been filled in him, who is the head of all rule and authority. And he says, and you have been filled in him, that's Christ, who is the whole fullness of deity, dwelling bodily. So what he's saying here is, Christ is God, and you are filled in Christ, so you are filled by God, by what God is, by the things we were just talking about, by the massive love that God displayed for us, you are filled in it as you walk in him. Filled. There's nothing fuller than fool. There's nothing greater than 100%, contrary to popular belief. There is no 110%. You can be fool, or you can be less than fool. He says, you are filled in him. And the, the big, massive thing about this is, he is God. And you are, f- meaning you are filled in who God is and something that he has given you. And so as we walk in him, God, literally the characteristics of God, satisfy us in who we are in him. And furthermore, they enable us to do things that he has called us to, reciprocating so that our satisfaction grows as as we do things he has called us to and bring glory to him and revel in who he is, then our satisfaction and our affections grow. So if we want fulfillment, if we want to be fool, it says be fool in him. And, and the, the biggest, the sadness of this passage is that he's talking to people who have received Christ. He says, as you received him, walk in him. Why, once we've been given this grace and given this love, once we've tasted it, why do we turn from it? Why do we get this idea in our head that what, well, the way we're walking is better? We've tasted it. You've seen it. You've understood it. And God's saying, there's more where that came from. You get to understand who God is in a deeper way for the rest of your life and then for all of eternity. And so our lives don't have to be this thing we're wondering, like, where did God go? What happened? I, I had this big um, eureka moment, and God saved me, and, I, and, and that was great. And then, and then I'm just kind of holding on for dear life. I'm just gripping onto the rails, and then hopefully when I die, I know God, and I'll be in heaven, and I'll be found in Christ. And this is saying you don't have to hold on tight in, in this barren life your entire life. The same way you received him, out of grace that was given freely that you couldn't earn, and out of love that God lavished upon us, it's the same way we walk in him. It it sustains through the rest of our lives, no matter when we received him. No matter when we received him. There's no supplement. There's no supplement. So so we start out with this idea that God gave us life and gave us love, and because of that, we have this 
ability to, to interact with him. And then in that interaction, the same love, the same grace is what upholds us. The same um, grace is what enables us and sustains us. And then his love continues to satisfy us in an even greater way as we walk in him. And then he, he closes with the idea that we have been filled in him. Meaning, not only do you have this, this love that you can lavish in and sit under and rejoice in and it's bounding Thanksgiving, it's not this thing where we have that and then we go get something else to add to it. And, and then you just add as much as you can until you get this giant tower of thanksgiving and happiness. No, he's saying there's no value in the human fulfillment. He's saying there's total, full value in walking in Christ. So this is not an addition equation. This is just God. This is God plus nothing. And, and I get our prayer, what God is trying to lead us into, is that you've been given something and there's more. Walk in it. Walk in the love that you've been given. He's loved you well and he wants to sustain you in that love. And I don't know um, where everybody's at tonight. Um, there's a lot of people in this room. And... Um, as we kind of close down and the band comes, um, I don't know uh, who all is, is here. There's, there might be some of us who have received Christ, maybe at a young age, maybe recently. And those people who have received Christ are, um, are maybe not walking in who God wants them to be. And, and maybe we're not walking in the love that God offers. And if that's you, um, maybe you can identify what you're walking in instead. And, and if that's you, um, this altar's open to you. Um, you can come and pray and confess that to God and just ask God. Say, hey, God, I remember the love that you showed me when I received you. And I remember what that felt like. And I want to walk in that. And I want to, to be filled by you completely. Maybe there's some of us who have no idea about receiving Christ. Never done that before. Can't remember doing that before. Or I, you have no idea what I'm talking about. And, and God is, is here um, calling you to, to do that. It's pursuing your heart with his love. And if you have not tasted that love, he wants you to. Um, through receiving him in belief and repentance, he wants you to turn from whatever you're walking in and walk in the greater joy and the greater fulfillment that is in him. And then some of us might be walking in his love and lavishing in it and, and he is pouring out who he is on us. And we get that, we understand that, and we're moving in it and, and we are just so excited about who he is and what he's doing, then this time's for you too. This time's for you to worship God for what he's doing in your life. Um, to sing, to pray, to give thanksgiving as he has already been abounding thanksgiving in you. And so as the band plays, I'm just gonna close this in prayer and whatever, wherever you are, where you're in any of those places, um, 
we, we ask you to, to respond to what God's asking you to do. If you've never received him, there'll be people in the back um, who would love to talk to you if that's something you want to talk about. If you have received him, um, again, pray wherever you are. Um, give God thanks, abound in thanksgiving for the love he's given, or maybe it's to ask him to continue to pour out his love on you as you walk in him. Let's, uh, let's pray. God, I am so thankful for the love that you give. And I'm so thankful that tonight um, we don't have to pull up our bootstraps and lace up our cleats and our sneakers and work really hard to earn your favor. And that, God, the grace that you've given that we talk about all the time, the love that you've poured out for us, that we revel in and desire for, God, you continually pour that out on us every day as we walk forward. God, that you don't cut off your fountain of love, that your love is infinite, that you are eternal, and we can look forward to eternity with you, and in the interim, we can look forward to you blessing us with the love that you show in the rest of our lives, God. We thank you. We want to praise you for what you're doing and to give you thanks for the abounding thanksgiving that you give. We love you. We want to honor you. And in your name we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.